Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week another edition in 15 Minutes of Q&A. So these are questions that I've received from listeners about fascism. I'm going to answer them now. Our first question this week comes from Tom and Madge. Their question is, what country was the worst at fascism despite the fact that they tried it? Now, that's a really interesting question because it raises a lot of different things that we can think about when it comes to fascism. It has to do with what fascism actually is, right? Scholars debate a lot about what fascism is, and I've covered this somewhat in some other episodes of the podcast. For example, you can check out the special episode, What is Fascism? And also, if you want to go way back in the archive with much worse audio, you can check out my first three episodes, which are all about what fascism is. Now, to start off this conversation, I'm going to ground it in an essay by an academic. His name is Paxton, and the academic essay is called The Five Stages of Fascism. The stages that Paxton lists are levels of development and power in fascist movements. The first several are where most fascist groups land and about as far as they get. So, you know, like level one is just like a bunch of dudes in a room who say that they want to be fascist. Level two is, you know, maybe they're doing some street level activity. Level three is maybe they're working with a larger political organization, a larger political movement, other conservatives, other right wingers, and they're trying to take over state power. Level four is where they actually achieve state power. The fascists beat out the other members of the right wing and they become the leading force in politics in their country. Only maybe three or four groups have ever reached this level and actually taken power. These are Germany and Italy, of course, but also the other examples would be Romania and Austria. Romania's fascist party was toppled during World War II And Austria's fascist party was essentially an annex of the German fascist party, and Austria itself was annexed to Nazi Germany. That's what happened there. So this means that only two fascist parties have ever been in power long enough to really tell us what a fascist government looks like. So the question here, Tom and Madge, is like, what constitutes trying fascism, right? Like, are Nazi Germany and fascist Italy the only countries that have tried fascism? Or are all of the parties that try to take over but fail, are they also trying fascism? In this case, that would include things like the Falange in Spain, right, who are part of the governing coalition under Franco's regime, but are not its leading light. The leading light of the Franco regime is just the Spanish military, right? Those people are the leaders of the Spanish supposedly fascist government. Paxton, in his essay, therefore argues that any attempt to understand what fascism is in power is hobbled by the fact that we only have two examples. This is his fifth stage of fascism after they've actually taken power. And like he says, we've only really got two examples. We got fascist Italy and we have Nazi Germany. He says that fascist Italy, quote unquote, moderated, whereas Nazi Germany, quote unquote, radicalized. Maybe the equivalent here on the left would be somebody like Stalin is a radical, whereas Deng Xiaoping is a moderate, right? What Paxton means by this is that fascist Italy was headed in the direction of some acceptable form of European normalcy before World War II. Italy was not genocidal. It was anti-left and it killed a lot of leftists, but that's not entirely outside the pale for like, you know, your standard right-wing party in Europe in the early 20th century. 
it was pulled into a more radical position by the Nazis. The question is, what would have happened if, you know, if the Nazis hadn't been around, how moderate would the Italian party have stayed? We don't really know that. The other question is, if Italy moderated, would that constitute, quote unquote, failing at fascism, right? Is that them failing at their, at their attempt to recreate the world? Arguably, yes. But at the same time, the Nazi attempt also failed because they lost the war and they all got hanged, you know? So it, it, it seems like every time the fascism has been tried, it has failed, right? That would be, that would be my argument here. Other possible cases where you might be like, oh, but you know, these people kind of tried fascism would be Portugal and Spain immediately after the war, who held on to their sort of like fascist ideas about how to reorganize the world and politics and the economy. They had governments that were informed by fascism, but which were not exactly fascist themselves. They made gestures towards transforming their economies and societies, but eventually pulled away from those corporatist experiments, which were about reorganizing how workers and capitalists interact. They pulled away from that experiment and instead in the mid-20th century joined a different experiment, the experiment that we are all currently living in, the Western capitalist post-war global free trade economy. That is what Spain moved into starting in the 60s and 70s, much like most other economies in the world. And so in that sense, you might describe them as a failed experiment in fascism, right? They tried to reorganize their economy and society and they pulled back from that experiment and they did something else. So this is an interesting question because it exposes a lot of, a lot of questions about, about what fascism really is and what it constitutes to actually try fascism. It's actually a really good springboard into the next question that I want to address today. This question comes from Harold. Harold's question is essentially about fascism and the economy, and I'm just going to read it out loud here. Harold asks, isn't a major reason besides bigotry, racism, and anti-Semitism for the global rise of fascism found in corporate elites preferring, unacknowledged, a state capitalist merger with charismatic, powerful fascists like Trump? Harold continues to ask uh, if this is in order to suppress the growing voices of dissent from labor, socialist, communists, and other allies who recognize the lethal dystopia of capitalist addiction for profits for a few over the unmitigated misery of many. Okay. Harold is asking a big question here. The question is, what is fascism's relationship to capitalism? What is fascism's relationship to capitalists? What is fascism's relationship to big business? In order to answer this question, I'm going to go back in time, uh, back to the early 20th century. Early fascists, like Mussolini, like Hitler before he took power, they were anti-capitalists, at least in rhetoric. They argued that capitalism was destroying traditional communities. They argued that it was taking away, you know, manly positions and manly traditions. They argued that it was taking away the foundations of their normal society. They tied capitalism to foreign influences. So if they were in Germany or Italy, this might be the United Kingdom or possibly the United States. And they also tied these directly to supposed Jewish influences. You know, another group that fascists blame on corrupting the economy, the world, the society from the inside, you know, illegitimately, having done so through trickery or something like that. Fascists wanted some version of some kind of planning. That's what they talked about. Now, fascists were not exactly planners themselves. The stuff about making the trains run on time is, in fact, not true. Logistics in fascist Italy did not work particularly well, nor did they work particularly well in Nazi Germany. Fascists wanted some kind of planning, but they didn't really have a cohesive plan. Uh, 
They wanted some state involvement in the economy, but the German economy, even in the middle of World War II, was not completely planned by the Nazi German state. A lot of it was still run kind of like ad hoc. It wasn't until the, like 1942, 1943 that the German economy really got taken over by the state. And that's at that point, it was kind of too late, you know, like that was a last ditch effort. And it, 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 it was way too late for them to do this. If you think about what fascists rhetorically say, you know, what, what, what they claim they want from the economy, a good representation of this is what happens at the end of the Fritz Lang movie, Metropolis. This is a, an old movie, a silent movie about workers uprising in a capitalist dystopia. But at the end, the workers and the capitalists are brought together by a charismatic leader who says the link between the hand, the workers, and the head, the capitalists, must always be the heart. Fascists think that they're the heart. They think that they can represent a non-communist anti-capitalism. That's what fascists rhetorically say about what they want. Of course, in practice, fascists were in bed with powerful business people in the same way that everybody who wasn't a communist was in bed with powerful business people, right? They had big donors. They had big contracts. They did almost nothing to challenge the wealth of and status of extreme business elites, except those who were Jewish. And even in Italy, they didn't really do that until the Nazis essentially demanded that they do. So that's the difference between fascist rhetoric and fascist practice. Fascists in practice were not particularly challenging of the wealthy. However, Harold's question isn't exactly about what happened. It's about what fascists' preferences are. And not just about what fascist preferences are. It's about what capitalists' preferences are, right? Harold's question is about whether fascism is something that big businesses specifically want, and if business interests are what fascism is for, right? Is fascism for big business? This is the thesis of a, of a series of books by French anarcho-communist Daniel Guérin, who's an anarcho-communist scholar and also one of the originators of some queer anarchist theory back in the early 20th century. Guérin argues, as some do, that fascism is the apotheosis, the ultimate example, the shining, perfect, pure version of capitalism. This made sense to Guérin because he came from the early 20th century when state capitalism was the, the rule of the day, right? And there is something to this, you know? Fascist governments, they want a merger of state capitalism with the massive state power that they wield. But at the same time, we know that in practice, that isn't exactly what they did. The other problem here is that uh, Harold's question asks about Trump being a fascist, you know, merging state power with, with, with like state control over the economy or something like that. But that doesn't exactly square with how neoliberalism, at least ostensibly, functions. Now, we all know that the economy today continues to be very, very, very much directly tied to how the government works. You know, government subsidies, government grants in order to provide research that private companies use and hold and use for their own profit. You know, the government, despite its claims to not intervene in the economy or to intervene less and less in the economy, it, it, it continues to do so massively. And so it's just this sort of like rhetorical trick, maybe. The other issue here is that like, you know, the question is, do, do capitalists like fascism? Do they want fascists to be in power? I think that on the whole, the answer is no. Capitalists and other extreme, powerful, wealthy people, what they want is the status quo because the status quo is working for them pretty great, 
they only turn to fascists if they are worried about the left. They fund fascists and they take a blind eye to fascist violence if they think that fascists will help them prevent the leftists from taking power. It's a devil's bargain for them. If they could, they would much prefer to just leave it to the cops and to military police and to, you know, standard means of fighting political movements and political uprisings. The turn to partisan violence is a last-ditch effort because it means that those fascists, those armed guys in the streets with pretty terrifying ideas, they will demand a seat at the table when it comes to creating the new world after the defeat of the left. So I think that the, the answer is, is complicated, right? Capitalists might use fascists in order to enable their interests to continue, but ultimately what they want isn't to need to do that. They would prefer to not have to do that, right? They would prefer that everybody be pretty docile and chill and not have to contend with all of this, you know, political organizing business. At the same time, I also want to remind us that like uh, extremely destructive wars that totally devastate urban and rural areas in your country are not good for business. Um, so like the capitalists in Germany did not want World War II, right? They might have wanted more territory. They wanted to expropriate things from Jewish people in Eastern Europe, but a protracted war against all of the other organized economies in the world, that was not in their interests. That came from the ideology of fascism. That's precisely the bargain that they were making. And it was a bargain that they happened to lose. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review of whatever it is you're listening to on. Instead of checking out my Patreon or arguably any creator's Patreon at this uh, particular time in world history, please instead go to and donate to Medicine Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, the Red Cross, the Red Crescent, and the Gaza Children's Fund. If you are enjoying these question and answer sessions, please participate yourself. You can reach me at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H I S T of the right, and also at fascism15, that's spelled out. And I am on blue sky at 15 M I N S O F F A S C, that's 15 mins of fash. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you Thursday.